Somebody made a real mess over there. <laughs> Go turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're looking at around 22 to 35 in that arena. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, third book in the New Testament. Now today we want to continue to focus on what's happening with Mary and this child, but we want to fast forward eight days after Christ was born. His parents took him to the temple to be circumcised because they're part of the covenant with Abraham and to pay this redemption price. But some days later, they return a second time to the temple so that Mary can be declared uh, pure or clean. Now, what's remarkable, in, in the temple, they encounter a man named Simeon, who, who we actually know very little about. We just know he's a godly man. And he takes this child, Jesus, and he prophesies, and he tells of God's great work through this child, then he looks at the mother, he looks at Mary, and he tells her the results of this child's life will bring a sword to her heart, agony and sadness. So if you would please read with me Luke chapter 22. No, that's not right. Luke 2, verse 22. I'm reading down to around 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Please pray with me once more. Jesus came, Lord, you tell us, for the rising and the fall of many, Father, that for many who were not part of 
your covenant with Abraham, salvation by grace through faith declared righteous, to be grafted in. For many, Lord, to be broken off or because they do not believe, they do not receive Christ. Lord, I thank you for Simeon, Lord. I thank you for his great declaration. I ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to each individual life here in a, in a particular way of need. And when we leave, may our understanding of Christ, who he is, may we grow in that knowledge, our love for him deepen, and our desire, our stir to worship increase. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the hardest things is for people to actually receive tragic or, or very hard news and still want to worship the Lord. William Cooper, the, the great English poet and hymn writer, had four major spouts of depression in his life where he was suicidal often. He was put in mental hospitals and in the midst of the worst of his trials, he wrote these words about the sovereignty and providence of God in the midst of his challenges. Listen to what he says. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. He endured the worst of seasons because he viewed them like a bud, that is, that God would take in his providence and in time blossom into something extraordinary and beautiful in his life. Now, in Luke 1, Mary had just had her first baby, a little boy. You might have heard of him. His name was Jesus. That was just a bad joke. <laughs> and so far, the, nothing but amazing news. God himself named him Jesus, which means he, he will save his people from their sins. The, the angel came and said, this is Emmanuel that Isaiah told you about, God with us. Wow. She is approached in the temple then by an older man named Simeon, who reiterates much of what the angel Gabriel had told her, but gives more detail. And Mary and Joseph are marveling. And then Simeon turns to her and gave her tragic news about how many will oppose this child, that many will fall because of him, and her heart will be filled with sorrow through him. Now, it, it must have been life-changing news. One of those moments that, that really changes the course and direction of your life because for the first time, Mary hears that all is not going to end well for this child. Imagine, put yourself in that, that situation. Imagine how confused you would be. How, how can he be Emmanuel, God with us, and all is not going to end well? He's going to pierce my heart. Now what is remarkable here is just months earlier, the angel of God appeared to her and said she had found favor with God. You found favor with God. And now God is telling her great pain is coming. God was bringing blessings to her and pain to her through Jesus. Now, for most of us, we have a, a really good theology of blessings, right? 
of prosperity. We say it's a sign of God's love for us. And the problem is when afflictions come, when sorrows happen, when grief comes on you, we often think this then must be a mark that God is not with me. God is angry with me. I have done something wrong. He must be against me. And we become very confused in difficult times. So here's the main idea today, and it's an old Puritan statement. It says this, Don't write your afflictions in stone while writing God's faithfulness in water. Don't write your afflictions in stone, meaning that you just always dwell and remember them, and yet you rewrite God's faithfulness in water. Okay, should we dive in? Point one, Simeon's message of consolation. Look in your Bibles at verse 25 with me. Verse 25. Let's start with his message. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon was an old man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an amazing statement because usually in the Old Testament, Spirit would come upon people. Like when David faced Goliath, the Spirit comes upon them for a particular work. And then the Spirit would depart. At Simeon, it just says, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't know much about him. Luke calls him righteous and devout. So, he was devout towards God he was righteous towards men. It's he's saying he's godly. That's what he's saying. Towards men and towards God. And look at the word there. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit told him that he would not die until he sees the promised Messiah. The king that was coming from David's line. The savior of Israel. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel which is another title for the Christ, the Messiah. They called him the Consoler. And you say, okay, why did they use that term? Why call the Messiah, the Christ, the Consoler? Well, to console means to take someone's grief away. Does that make sense? To take someone's grief away, to remove their disappointments, to comfort them. Israel had been a nation in slavery, then exile, harsh Roman rule, heavy burdens. They longed for release from their suffering to be consoled by God. And their hope was this Messiah, this king from David's family, is going to be the consoler, the deliverer from them, for them. And Simeon is waiting for that. So in that temple filled with the Holy Spirit, in walks a young man and young woman, and he recognizes Jesus, and he takes him up in his arms, and it tells us just whose suffering he would take away. Verse 29 to 32, look in your Bibles with me. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. Notice those words. My eyes have seen your salvation. To see Jesus and know Jesus is to see God's salvation. They are inseparable. So who would be saved, okay? This child's going to be the salvation. He tells us, first, a light for revelation to Gentiles. He's quoting from Isaiah there. Isaiah, in chapter 42, 6, 49, 6, he says that this Savior is going to bring salvation, just like we just talked about, the covenant promises of Abraham, salvation by grace declared righteous through faith to you, to the Gentiles. He's going to do that. But then he goes on. Look in your Bibles. A glory to your people and to God's people to Israel, He will be the glory, the revelation of God Himself to them. He will be the great revealer to them finally and fully of who God is by fulfilling all the promises of God to them. Notice what's going on here. He's consoling His people. It means He is alleviating their grief. He's comforting them. And I am sure they were thinking, yes, this child will bring back the throne of David. We get it. He's going to deliver us from our oppression. Hallelujah. He's going to save us from tyranny. He's going to be the king that we've been longing for. And maybe they missed the mark a touch. But they certainly understood this one will console us. Now, the reason that's important is because often our hearts outside of Christ are unconsolable. There is nothing on this earth that can permanently console us. We can be appeased by things of this world, but not necessarily consoled or satisfied. I've told you this story before, but I'll tell you again. In 1977, I had a good friend who was a lawyer, and he tells a story that in 1977... He was in Las Vegas with Elvis. He was one of Elvis's lawyers, a young lawyer. And he said, there they are at the penthouse. And I can't remember, maybe Elvis had just had a concert, was about to have a concert. And you can imagine the party. Everything that you could possibly want if you are a young man there. Everybody's partying. Elvis is in the corner and he's looking out the window. And my friend heard Elvis say these words. Do you know what it is like to be able to have anything you want? Any building? Any girl? Any car? And we would say, no. He was quiet for a time. And then he just said, I'm bored. What do you mean you're bored, the world says? You should be satisfied. You should be consoled. You should be content. You should be full of joy. He was depressed. He was bored. He died several weeks later. Listen, my friends. He had grief. He had sadness. He had disappointment. And he tried all the remedies of the world, but none took it away. They might give temporary comfort, but not real consolement. And I want to ask you, What about your grief? What about your disappointments in your career choice? Maybe in your marriage? Maybe in your singleness? 
What do you do with your grief? Where do you find consolement? And when we mostly think, well, if I had this thing, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be consoled and comforted. And when it doesn't take our grief away, we think, oh, the problem is I didn't have enough of it for it to actually satisfy me. So we press in more and more into career, sports, unhealthy relationships, alcohol, sex, entertainment, gaming. All those things are like giving a screaming child a lolly who is comforted as long as he has the candy but you take it away, suddenly the grief comes crashing back. Listen, consolation comes from a person, Jesus Christ. He is the consoler of your heart. He is the consoler of the world. How? Not in the way that Israel is expecting by fixing all their problems, freeing them from Roman tyranny. His consolation is actually much bigger than that. He satisfies our biggest problem. He cleanses us to bring us into an intimate relationship with God, our Creator. And notice this last thing. When He takes up the child, what happens? He experiences remarkable peace, doesn't He? That's what the text says. There's more. Simeon's response then is full of peace as he sees this child. When we become a believer, He gives the Holy Spirit to be in our life and begins a work of renovating our soul after His image, consoling us with who we are, but then healing our wounds through Spirit and the Word. That's how He consoles us. Let's go to point two. Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon told them about how this child, the Savior of Israel, what he would do with the Gentiles. But then he, he told them how it would be done. And we get the first glimpse that all will not go well. Look in your Bibles with me. Verse 34 to 36. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Stop there. Please look at those words. He's appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. He's taking them back to Isaiah again. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 says this, He will become a sanctuary in a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling. And what he's saying there is Jesus will divide the nation. Some are going to fall because they reject him, and some are going to rise. And what he's saying is the arising and falling means entering into God's kingdom or being excluded from it. So never does a person hear the gospel, but either he rises or falls into God's kingdom. Jesus says the same thing in a different way when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. 
all saying to reject me is to reject God's kingdom, his love, his forgiveness. But to receive me like Simeon is to rise and enter the kingdom. Okay, well, how do we know those who fall? Look at your Bible with me again. Notice he says this, verse 34. And for a sign that is opposed. They oppose the signs, which means a visible, clear manifestation, the miracles of Christ, all the signs and miracles that Jesus did bear witness to who He is, the Son of God. All of His signs were small glimpses of what the kingdom will be. And those who reject the gospel, they also reject who He is and what He's done. And so for those who reject Christ and fall, no amount of signs and wonders will change their heart. They will always be like the crowd in John 6. It says, if you feed me again, then I will believe. Okay, lastly, why do they reject? Okay, they reject his signs. They say that's not from God. Verse 35, look at this. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There it is. I'm going to read you what Jesus says in John 7, 7. Same thing. Here's what this means. The world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Here's why many reject Christ as the Son of God, deny His signs, including His resurrection, because He testifies that their hearts are sinful. He reveals man's heart. Jesus testified to the world that our hearts are full of self-righteousness, not the righteousness of God. And that the only way to become righteous before God, to be raised before God, is to know that you have fallen, that you are unrighteous before God, and recognize that there is nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. But then you must rise with Christ by putting your faith in His work on the cross and receiving His salvation. So what Simeon says is many will be raised to newness of life. They will come into the kingdom through this child. And many will reject what Jesus says is true. And they will reject and fall. How do we think and live this? And let's just close with these last thoughts. Think about his words to Mary. This child was going to pierce your heart. This child's going to pierce your heart with a sword. That would have been incredibly confusing. You would think, maybe God is against me. And my friends, maybe you have gone through difficult times in your life, agonies, pains, sorrows, depressions, sickness, and maybe you feel God is against me. I know it's true. And I want to challenge that in three ways as we close. First is this. If great trouble and grief is a sign that God is against you, then shouldn't constant prosperity be a sign that God loves you more? And yet this is what the Scripture says. Luke 6.24, Woe to those who are rich. Often we are too simple in determining the blessings of God. We think we are blessed when life is just easy and prosperous, and those certainly are blessings, But my friends, often God is doing something much deeper in our hearts, growing us in humility, faith, patience, and godliness, bringing us to a place where we find great consolation in Him, and He does that through trials and through grief and challenges. 
It's those times that we grow most in godliness. Second, if God has left you when you are in affliction, what does that say about everybody else in that condition? Right? If this is true about myself, then it's true about everybody. So, what about David in the Bible? Job, He-Man, Paul, Hannah, Mary, Jesus. Was God against all of them? Was God against Jesus when he died on the cross? Certainly not. Third and last, would God be a good father if he always protected you from the troubles of the world? Please listen. If you looked around and you saw other Christians growing in godliness, joy, faith, Christ-likeness, through good times and through difficult times, what would you conclude about God if you never had such challenges and hard times? You might say, why is he doing so much in their lives and so little in mine? Why do they seem to trust God so much? They want to worship. And yet I just want to be on Facebook and Instagram all the time. Last few words. As a Christian, we are consoled by the fact that we have a good Father in heaven who loves us and always does what is best for us. Like Mary, giving us great times of joy and blessing, but also times where sorrow pierces our heart. Yet in our sorrows, we must view them like William Cooper's bud that is bitter now, but trusting providence of God to blossom them and bring goodness into our life and glory to Him. And Mary is proof of that because as she saw her son being pierced upon the cross, it was that pain in her heart that she certainly felt, suffering in agony there watching her son die, confusion about what is going on, and yet that was God's means to bring salvation to you. Father, I just just praise You. Thank You for the Savior. Thank You for Simeon's testimony that this is the Messiah. And yet, there was Mary, and He will pierce her heart. Many will rise and fall, Lord, through Him. And I thank You by grace through faith alone, we are risen. Christ rose, we rise to newness of life, and we rise into the kingdom with all the promises, all the privileges of children of God. And we just praise you, and we thank you for the profession today of so many up here on the stage that Christ is their Lord and their Savior, and they have risen into the kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, stand together.